Good morning. If you open your Bibles back to Ecclesiastes, and this time we're going to be in chapter 3. This will be the last part of our coverage of Ecclesiastes in our allotted time when, with the Lord's help and in the Lord's will. I would, oftentimes you hear somebody that covers a book or covers a section or a passage say, I would encourage you to read it. But I would because of the f- simple fact that if you remember uh, last week, I mean, I, I can speak for myself. How many times have you actually gone through Ecclesiastes or even studied it? I mean, I personally, I, I've only heard it at funerals, uh, especially where really only one verse. Sometimes it's even quoted, it was brought to my attention from an unbeliever as, as a way to stump me. They said, look at this. They pulled the verse out of context and they said, look at this verse. It means we're no different than animals. Actually, we're going to look at Maybe we'll look at it in chapter three, but it is a great it is a great book because it's a wisdom book and it's a guy who collects his life's uh, who's lived a life and he now is collecting everything that he's gone through and he's presenting it to us. But it is uh, especially um, especially a good book when you're looking at the outlook and what's lying before you. And it's a warning really to uh, those who are chasing after uh the flesh and really focusing in on one part of your body and what makes uh, what makes up you. So let's just look to the Lord and then we'll we'll look into our our chapter here. Our Father, we just thank you for this day and we just thank you for another um, uh, wonderful time that we have here to gather as a group of believers. We take this as a gift from you and we just ask you that uh, you would help us to understand your book and your Bible, and it's through your spirit who gives us understanding. So we just pray that you'd help us as we look into this book of Ecclesiastes. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So last week what we did, um, we do have, there's 12 chapters here in Ecclesiastes, and the Lord has uh, led towards uh, a particular subject. So we're only going to actually go a little bit we did in chapter 1, and a little bit now in chapter 3. But there are 12 chapters, and there's there's, mu- there's many topics um, that I didn't even mention. I'll mention them now. But Ecclesiastes also tackles the world's lies. Um, there are many lies that you can think of that the world presents, but especially that Christians can get caught up into, um, especially unbelievers. But Christians can get caught up that more money will make me happy. Being smarter will make me more wise as far as how I direct and how I uh, focus in my life. You think, well... You look at somebody who's made, maybe made a poor choice or some kind of lifestyle, like, ah, oh, that person's stupid. Well, actually, there are people that are very smart that as far as when it comes to the things of the Lord and the spiritual realm, they're very dumb. And when you look at, it, the, uh, when you look at it in that perspective, right, that if a person, remember, if a person just focuses in, a man is three-part being, if they just focus in on the body and the flesh and the material, they're going to live a very unfulfilled lifestyle, very unfulfilled life. And because we're three parts, body, soul, and spirit, um, Solomon tells us that it's striving after wind and it's vanity. You're, you're made up of something more. There's something more in life than just the, the physical. He also takes up, that's chapter two, if you want to know, living, uh, uh, the vanity of living uh, after uh, pursuing wisdom, um, more money makes me happy, and also pleasures. Chapter two, really, uh, we, we did read this actually last week, the beginning, but pleasures, um, 
any kind of pleasure. It doesn't have to be something related to love or sexual. It could be um, more uh, more goods or the more things that I have, right, the, the pleasures of this world. Well, it, it will lead to vanity and it'll lead to – it is vanity and it'll lead to disappointment. If there's anybody that had everything a person would want, it would be Solomon. But we mentioned this last week. It, 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 it almost is if when you're on one side of the fence, it looks so much better, your outlook on what's over there. And that really is the trick, and that's really the pitfall that a person can fall into. Well, if I just had that sort of house, and if I just had oh that promotion, and I had a little bit more money, then I can get these certain things, and I can be a little bit more secure. Well, you know what? That, I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with having a, you know, that certain kind of house or that certain kind of car. But what happens is it can creep in and it can consume the Christian life. And that's all I want to do. And that's all I'm going to work for. Even so, that it starts affecting, right? And, and really, Solomon's giving us a warning because he's been there. He's tried it out. He says that he, he, he planted vineyards. He, he had friends. He had slaves. He had uh, multiple relationships. I mean, more than I could ever think of, right? I mean, what was it, uh, 700 wives, I think, and 300 girlfriends? I mean, that's... That's unreal. That's unreal. I mean, now, in the unbelieving world, I mean, I'm sure there's some that have that many partners. I don't know. But, I mean, this man had everything, as it were, to what this world has to offer. And if you remember, I, some, several people like some of the, quote, the quotes that I uh, researched that I brought out. But Jim Carrey, I mean, it's a very, very powerful one. He's, he is still alive. But he said, I wish everybody had everything they ever wanted. Just so they can come and see at the end of it, it's not worth it. It doesn't fulfill. So we have plenty of examples in our modern day world and also here in the scripture. God has given us that this world, if you just pour your life, your resources into fulfilling what the flesh wants and the physical and and the material, it's going to leave you empty. You're going to want something else. And that's why we said last week there's a rise in and, and the addiction of, of some certain sorts of substances because they need to escape the reality and realize, wow, how empty this is. I need to turn to something to get me out of here. Increase in suicide, everything else, because people are not satisfied with what life has to offer them because they've poured their resources into something that doesn't fulfill. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, again, we're a three-part being, but... It says here in, in Ephesians that God has set eternity in their hearts. And so what we're going to look at is uh, we, last week we also pointed out um, that there's a monotony to life, that there's life moves in cycles. We see this in, in fashion. We see this in politics. Oh, man, this, this is great. You know, especially nowadays, um, not nowadays, but every four years, you know, we have election here. Now, this goes with. Really, I found out, too, in my wife's home country that their, their election year is also this year, too. And people are hot on these topics and, you know, especially about the, the certain candidates. And it seems like, I mean, again, I've never I haven't lived long enough to see a bunch of elections and to uh, collect data and see how things are moving. And but, you know, it seems like nobody's really satisfied with any of the, the potential uh, uh, presidents here in this country. But, you know, they're they're so shocked and all about what 
has been said and, and, the, and, the, and the topics and, and the sort of mudslinging, it, it seems to be status quo with politics, right? It's, they try to uh, sully each other's reputation. But you know what's interesting? If you look back, somebody um, – I read this – I forgot where I read it, but somebody pulled up um, – now, I don't know where they found this because there was no television recordings. But back when you think about the founding fathers of this country, great, strong men, and they're all about honesty. And, man, if you read some of the transcripts of the things they said about each other and their running mates, my goodness, it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. And that's the way life is. It's a big cycle. It comes around and around. And if you think, well, there's something new. I haven't seen this before. Solomon says, no, you just don't have a good memory. It's been done. It's been done. And now that doesn't mean that technology and the things that we see in this world isn't progressing but that's what he's pointing out is that there's always motion in life but there's no advancement it's like spinning the wheels in the mud spinning the wheels in the mud there's there's motion but no advancement and so he pulls out four cycles in life uh cycles in nature the sun coming up going down uh the earth always staying constant but uh generation come generation goes but what he's going to pull out here in chapter 3, this is really a second point, is that I want to, the second part of this, is if it, we just were left there, it'd be a depressing, uh, it is a depressing topic. What is it all worth? But now he, he shifts his attention. He, he uses some of the same terminology, but he's going to bring God into the picture now. He's going he's gonna to correct his, it's a correction from the Lord. He's going to bring in a perspective that is a heavenly one. And so... If you find yourself and you feel that life is monotonous, especially as a believer, life is not monotonous. Life is a gift from God. And every day, we really should approach it that way. It's not just, well, I've got to get up. Uh, it's, five, it's 5.55. Well, I've got to get ready, take my shower, got to go to work. Well, at uh, 11.30, I come home for lunch and then you know, play with my son, and then I've got to go back to work. And I come home, and then what I got to do there? Where's, where's my free time? And you think, wow, man, it's, it's, you start thinking, that's pretty monotonous, but it's not, right? Every life God has given us, I don't want to get too far ahead, but God has given us each a chunk of time. Your time is different than mine. And, and yes, we are in the sense of all human beings, we're, we're equal in that sense, but we're not equal in the, in the amount of time God has given us. Some might live to be 120. Some might live to be 35. Some might live to be 16. Every person is given a chunk of time, and they're responsible for the way that they live that life. God has given them. And so really everything, uh, God has given it as a gift, right? God is, when you think about creation, and you think about what is what was, now this is very hard, because we obviously think in, in beginning and end that really our existence had a beginning. It's going to, well, our, the world that we see in the universe is going to have an end. But God... He introduces himself to, to Moses that I am that I am. And what he's saying to Moses is that I'm self-existent. I, I, my existence is very dependent on things. We need air, right? We, we can say, well, I need sight. I need to be able to see. I need a car to get to work. God didn't need any of that. He didn't need love. He didn't need affection. He was self-existent. He didn't need human companionship like we do. We need that. But he didn't need that. He's self-existent. So the fact that when he... When you think about human life and the creation, everything we see, it was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. And our lives, we should approach it the same way that it is a gift from God. And, and really, we should, um, it should be, we should reflect on ourselves as what is it that I'm living for. And sometimes as believers, we have to readjust ourselves, right? We can get caught into 
uh, covetousness, the Lord says, beware, beware of it. It creeps in. Not just that you want many things. It's that you're chasing after something that's not going to fulfill yourself. It's not going to give you true satisfaction and pleasure. Really, it's the Lord. So what he's going to bring out is that now he's going to shift his attention and he's going to say, God has done God, God, this. And he's going to really bring in that God is the one that orders time. And as we look at time, we let's just start reading before I get too much ahead. <laughs> for there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, time to die, time to plant and time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. We're going to continue reading, but we'll just make comment as we go. And so now as we come to this chapter, he's going to sort of refer back to what he started in one. And as he looked at the, the cycles of nature, he said, wow, this is very monotonous. Look at this. This comes up. The sun comes up and goes right back down to where it started. And it seems like it just keeps going around and around and around. But now he's going to say, listen, there is a time. And can somebody read that has, and I have an ESV. Does somebody have something different in, chap, in verse 1 than I have a matter under heaven? Does anybody have anything different besides every matter under heaven? Purpose. So God is now, we, he says, listen, there's a purpose in life. What? Well, you just said in chapter 1 that you just sowed us the cycles of life, and they say it's monotonous. Look at it. No, he's going to say there's a purpose for it. This is important. He's going to start this uh, conversation by saying there's a purpose for it. Now, as you go through this, there's these uh, eight verses, uh, it might remind you. Now, this is another reason why I think of Ecclesiastes, because now, not that I lived during that time, but maybe some of you remember that the band, the birds, that sung that song, to everything there's a season. And really, it's somewhat verbatim of this from from the Ecclesiastes. It actually was written by another man. I didn't know this, but uh, Pete Seeger back in the 50s. And the birds just, uh, I guess, reproduced it or whatnot. But they really, um, it was used in a sense for an anti-war song. But the point is, is that he's going to bring all these different things, a time to be born and a time to die. We just mentioned sometimes we see a person enter in the hospital. They'll go in for the smallest Maybe some kind of affection, and they end up dying. But then you see somebody who's gone in, and they've been in the most horrific accident, and they end up living. And you wonder, why? What is going on? Well, it's God that has bring time to be born and a time to die, time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Time to heal and a time to kill. Uh, Time to kill, time to heal, and a time to break down and time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And a time to dance. Sometimes we like the, uh, the time. Some of these times we, uh, we enjoy those, right? We like the times that we laugh. And we like the times that we're dancing. But the times that we have to cry and we have to mourn, we don't particularly like those. But it's God that's ordering these things in our lives. And he's really, we're going we're to get to where, where he's leading and really what, what's the comfort in the believer, what comfort we can take. But there are times in our lives that we have to go through those things. That there is a time to mourn and there is a time to weep. And it's necessary. And really, what we need to, what really helps us, and we're going to get to this, I know I keep saying that, but it's hard not to, to jump ahead because it's really exciting, 
is that if we can just get a perspective that God is the one that's ordering it, and all I need to recognize is he's more intelligent, more infinitely smarter than I am and has the understanding, can look far ahead and see where my life is heading and what he's doing with it, it, it really is a comfort to just to turn things over to him and say, listen, he knows better than I do. And if I have to go through this time of weeping and time of mourning, well, he knows. He knows. And there is a reason and there is a purpose for it under heaven. Time to cast away stones and time to gather stones together. Time to embrace and time to refrain from embracing. Time to seek, time to lose, and a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Especially verse 7. This is where the Lord, I think, uh, is every part, you know, there's always a, the Lord is dealing with our lives in different ways. But it's so easy, especially when you're in when you're trying to witness, you know, to somebody, you're always wanting to get out the gospel. Oh, I got to start. How can I fit it in? How can I fit it in? Man, the Lord's been really teaching me. Let, let, you know, listen to these people first. Interact with them. And then. I'm going to bring the examples. If you ever prayed this prayer, I don't know if, if you have. If you ask the Lord to open up doors and to use you, he's going to. Get ready. Get ready. Because the minute you do, it's almost like, man, I, I've been running into this person, you know, day in and day out. And you start listening. I mean, every individual, every individual, according to Ecclesiastes, has something in built in. And it's called eternity, what he says. There's something more than just the outer flesh. And so the unbeliever, apart from Christ, and if you remember for your own life, you're searching for something. So anybody who's honest with themselves, they're searching. They don't have the answers. They look at life and really they look at life and they look at all these seasons in life, born, die, time to weep. And, and if you don't have that understanding that it's God that's ordering this, it's despair because you just look at life and you say, well, here it is. How did that happen? I mean, Look at this. Oh, I'm just unlucky. I hear that all the time. Oh, I just got lucky and I just got in. Or I'm just, un- oh, he's got, uh, he just, uh, uh, a co-worker of mine had somebody who just recently passed away, very young. Oh, he just got unlucky. Huh? He just got unlucky. I mean, that's the way you can look at life. That's despair. And so when you just, oh, when they just open up, and as a believer, we have the answer. We have the answer that there is something more to life, and it's something that is within them, and they need to, Right. They need to settle that with God and have that spirit uh, be brought back to life and have connection and meaning be reconnected with their savior. But it's God that's ordering the seasons. Time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Back in, uh, I guess now it'd be, I guess, 40 years, you know, there was a big movement against the war and it was against it was at one point popular opinion but it and then it turned quickly to and you know, not public opinion against the war well god does say there is a time for war um but there also is a time for peace but it then again it is god that is ordering these things like so look at this in verse nine very interesting these next couple of verses what gain does the worker uh what gain has the worker from his toil now Remember, he said this in chapter one. It's all vanity, vanity, vanity. What is it that, that a person gains from his toil? Well, you notice there's no vanity, vanity here. He doesn't bring it in. Why is that? I've seen the business that God has given the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I mean, how powerful is that? To think about the seasons in our lives, to think about the low times that we go through, 
The thing about those valleys that we have to walk through sometimes, it's like, oh, you could just say, oh, that's unlucky that I went through it, or it, that's unfortunate. Well, it's God that makes everything beautiful in this time. I mean, that's powerful. If I can just get a, a grasp on that, that it's God that's ordering these seasons in my life, really, not even just my life. Let's take it a step back. Let's look at the bigger picture, really the world itself. You look at the things that are happening out there. Well, it's God that's ordering these things. And it's he's making everything beautiful in its time. And that should change the believer's outlook, especially when things are happening to ourselves. Now, these aren't very easy topics to start talking about. One of my, um, I don't say it's my life verse, but one of my, at least for a time it was in Psalm 119, Psalm 119, I think, I believe is verse 73, but it says this, that it was good that I was afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Now, I went through a very, very hard time. I, meant, I mentioned it last week, but it was my rock bottom. And a lot of it was my own choice, and I got myself into it. But the Lord brought me out of it, restored me. But I was like, man, what was all that? Man, it was so painful to go through that. But he kept bringing that back up. It was good. That I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Now, there's other ways the Lord can teach us. There's other ways, right? We can read about it. We can look at Solomon's life and say, look, look what's going on here. Well, that's something I shouldn't be pursuing. But sometimes we do have to go through those hard times. And the Lord uses them to teach us something. Sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's not for correction in my case. Oftentimes we think about a Christian man going through a hard time. Oh, there has to be sin in that person's life. It's not always like that. Got to be careful. But God is the one that's ordering the times in our lives, and he makes everything beautiful in its time. And if you just also think about creation, take a step back. You think of how beautiful creation is. Think about what he would do in a human being's life. Don't you think he's infinitely smart enough and caring enough that he's doing something in your life? You know, that's the hardest thing. I was just talking with, with some people uh, between the meeting, but that's one of the hardest things I think as human beings we have is letting go of parts of our lives. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Oh, yeah, I give everything to the Lord. I just give, oh, I turn everything. But then there's a part of it that uh, you don't even realize it. Man, I'm holding that part back from the Lord and say, no, you know what? I know what's better in this part. You go ahead and, and control everything else, but I'm going to sit on the throne in this part of my life. If you look at creation and the way things are ordered, I mean, it really to the human mind, it's just, man, it's amazing to think the distance. I mean, just look at the distance from the moon and to the earth and what that actually does for the oceans and, and everything else. I mean, it's miraculous to think that the earth, and this is one of the hard things. I was just, I think I mentioned this one time, one of my coworkers in our conversation, he just has a hard time uh, believing that. You know, he has a problem with the Bible, but one of his main points is, I've never heard this before from somebody, but he says, the Bible just makes the earth and man the center point of, of, of the Bible. That's the center subject. Now, we know Christ is the center subject, but what he's getting at is, why does God pour so much attention into mankind? And the universe is so big. Well, he has. Because God's dealings has been locale in the Bible to earth. It really hasn't concerned itself with anything as vast as the universe is. God has constructed the universe. If you think about the universe, he gives so much detail about the earth and everything there. And just he made the stars also. You think how vast the universe is. Oh, he just made the stars also. But our solar system and how everything moves around and then the earth and how it's the only planet in this solar system, really anything that we can see that's that can sustain life. 
And then he puts man in there and he says, this is going to be the person or this is going to be the creation that's made in there after my image. And he's going to have dominance over this planet. And then guess what? Then they fall. And then what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that you want to mingle in their affairs? God has put much attention on human beings. But what I was getting to is that if we just think about the way God orders creation, don't you think that he has the ability to order our own lives? Think about it as a believer, right? Even, I mean, you think about every aspect, business, uh, the way I raised my kids. Do you think God knows better than I do? He does. I mean, you have to say yes. But a lot of times we find ourselves holding those parts back and say, no, thank you. You know, I'm going to be the one in control, not, not turning that over to the Lord. And so... He has made everything beautiful in his time. He's infinitely wise, infinitely caring. And he also has set eternity in their heart. Yet he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning into the end. We did mention this before. I believe this is one of the, the um, theme verses for this, chap, uh, this book, excuse me, is that God has made man a three-part being. And I perceive, this is verse 12, I perceive there's nothing better for him than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, so that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure uh, in all his toil, for this is the gift to man. Now, when you come across things like that, you say, well, look at this. He's just saying, eat, drink, and be merry. But what is he adding to it? This is a gift to man. See, he brings a perspective into it. He says, listen, the ability to actually enjoy good food, the ability to enjoy the creation outside, that's a gift from God. He didn't owe you that. And so now he's going to bring this in. He says, listen, you should enjoy those things. That's God's gift to man, to enjoy these things. Remember, he has made, in his, in his plan of creation, he has made man, really, and you think about everything that's surrounded man, that this is all about him, and then in the sense that the earth and the life and the animals, everything else, really, man is the pinnacle of his creation, but... He has given them uh, eat and drink and pleasure for this, uh, for this, uh, all this, in all his toil, for this is a gift to man. Think of that, especially in pleasure. There's a deception that, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, I, I, especially in, in the unbeliever when you, when you talk to them, well, God's holding you back from pleasures. You know, I, I, there's something else out there. I got to mix this. Yes, I want to be a Christian, but there's, there's more. God's holding me back from something. And really what he's holding you back from is an uncontrolled lifestyle that's going to live to your destruction. Right. But there's a deception that there's something more that God's holding you back that, well, he's the one that gives pleasure. Don't you think he's able to give that to you? I perceive, verse 14, that whatever God does endures forever, and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away. God has done it, and so people should fear him. And what that which has been is that which will be already been done, and God seek, seeks that which has been driven away. And so as we consider this, there's, there's one more subject I'd like to, to briefly talk about. As we consider... That God is the one that's ordering everything in our lives, that's ordering everything in creation, and that there's seasons for different things. You know, sometimes we, 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 want, we want everything to be um, nice and sunny for our lives. We, 
my wife, uh, she doesn't really like cold weather. Well, I, I particularly, especially down here. Now, I don't really like the tundra cold, but see the cold weather in the in the in the um, the winter time down here is pretty nice, right? 60s, 70s. It's really nice, not too humid. But you know, when it's summertime, man. I mean, even now it's like 95 degrees, increasing humidity. It's not that comfortable. Well, there's a purpose for that. God has ordered the seasons for it, and. When we think about the seasons in our lives, <clears throat> again, we, we mentioned this before, is that we don't particularly like those kind of seasons. And sometimes we, we can kind of question, well, why did God bring me through this? And it can lead us to, to when we look at the, the seasons in, in the world especially, um, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I, I, I tend to get this a lot in different forms and different packages. And what they're getting at is if God is infinitely good and infinitely smart. Why has he allowed this? And what they're attributing is why they allow this evil in this world. Or why did he allow me to go through this if he's infinitely good? Now, what they're getting at. Now, let's, there's several things what, they're, what they have problems with, really, is what they're saying is I know better what should happen in my life than God does is really what they're getting at. It's like I should go through this part of my season, right? Because it's very simple very easy, excuse me, to be spiritual when things are going great, right? Praise the Lord. You know, I got myself a, 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 new, a new job, right? Very easy. I went through a, um, a time in between jobs for, and I, I was told I was going to get a job right away, but it lasted two years. And man, when, when I did have a job, oh, it's great, to, easy to be spiritual. But you go through those low times and then you start, you know, start doubting or whatever, but it's harder to be spiritual in those low times, isn't it? It's harder because you have to go through something. And it's, and it's those seasons that really that God is testing us and saying, listen, are you going to trust me when you go through these low times? It's easy to trust me when you're not. Sometimes we forget. We forget, we forget to thank him for us. But why, does, why is it that God allows those things? But in, if we just take it in the big picture, why is there bad things in this world? Why has God allowed it? Well, again, we deal with, well, God's infinitely smarter. He evidently knows what's going on. Even the fact you think about the way sin entered into the garden, I mean, entered into this world in the garden, right? Satan was present, right? But he was not allowed. But then here comes the serpent. Why didn't God just stop him right there? Problem solved. No more evil. We allowed him to come in here. I mean, has it ever entered your mind that Satan's actually working out God's plan? He is. I mean, can you imagine that? A guy who's, or he's not a guy, but uh, an angel, a spirit, infinitely against who God is at this point, right? He's rebelled against them, but he's working out God's plan. He is. Can you imagine that? There's not anybody that's not, right? And we think about that because if God's the one that orders time and, and the purpose and the seasons. So here he comes, right? He comes in and, 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 and he tempts the, the woman and, and man falls, but you think about nowadays, you think about even in the past century, the dictators that lived and, and the atrocities that happened. Where, where was God in all that? Well, he, he also brings up this subject here. Look at this. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw that under the sun, in the place of justice, there was wickedness. And in a place of righteousness, there was wickedness. Look at this. Even when I saw the person who's supposed to be upholding the law or where this person was a righteous person or some priest, there's wickedness in there. What, what's going on here? 
I mean, I expected to see righteousness here. There was still weakness. And I said in my heart, listen, this important fact, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for the time, for there is a time and a matter for every work. And so he, he takes a step back. He says, listen, if God is the one ordering uh, time and seasons, guess what? There's going to be a time and season for judgment. And so I can look at the world today and say, man, look at all that evil out there. I just got to say, listen, there's going to be a time and a season for judgment. I might not know why God has allowed that. People like Hitler, groups like ISIS, and the atrocities that they are allowed to do, well, God's going to reserve a time for judgment, and there's going to be a season for judgment. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's not. But Solomon says, listen, there's going to be a time where God's going to bring everything back. And we know this from other parts of the, in, in our Bible, that especially in Revelation, where the books are open, God is keeping a... Now, of course, God doesn't need a book to remember, but the, the imagery that God is going to remember every deed, every work that anybody has ever done, secret and thought, and he's going to lay it out, and they're going to be judged for that, for everything that they have ever done. Now, this is a warning, and this is the message that God has for you. We ended this with last week, is that there is a message here in Ecclesiastes for both, the believer and the unbeliever, is that God's going to bring into judgment. There is going to be a season for judgment, and everything that we do does matter. And so if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you want to persist, right? We see evil today. Sometimes it, it tricks the heart of men because judgment or punishment is not relatively uh, executed immediately, right? I think about it when you're driving down the road. Sometimes you kind of creep over 35, 40, whatever it is, and there's not immediately a cop behind you and say, hey, here's your ticket. But, you know, you start driving and say, well, I didn't get caught this time. Maybe it can go a little faster next time. And it, it tricks our heart to say, well, because I'm not judged immediately and I know what is right, well, I'm going to continue doing it. Well, it works like that in bigger scales. Well, I didn't get caught this time. Well, let me continue doing it. Well, it doesn't work like that with God because everything, there's going to be a season for judgment. And God has determined it. He has determined that the person who he furnished to all the world and he's raised from the dead, it says this in the New Testament, he has turned everything over to him. And he's going to be the same one who's going to judge this world. They rejected him, but he's going to be the one who's going to judge this world. And so that's a warning, right, for for the unbeliever. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you today to meet him as your Savior, not as your judge, because you will at one point. But for us believers, too, for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, to take Ecclesiastes, the book. Remember, it's a collection. He calls himself the preacher. He's a collector. And he's gone through these experiences, and he says, listen, man is a three-part being. There's something more than just the flesh and the physical world. And if I pour my time, my resources into that, and that's how I live my life. I'm going to very, live a very unfulfilled lifestyle. Man is a three-part being. And now as a believer, you have been reconnected with your creator uh, by the work of God in your life, by the salvation and bringing you back to life and giving you a new life, really. And now we want to live in a way that not, isn't just fulfilling that part, but also looking beyond that into the spiritual. And so as a Christian, we need to take Ecclesiastes 2 as a warning, but also to look at it as if I have that perspective, life is very monotonous. Well, I just got to adjust my vision, right? I got to look beyond the clouds and look beyond under the sun and look that God is the one ordering time. And he has a season for all these matters that are happening under heaven. And so 
Ecclesiastes, the great study to go through, and I encourage you to do that. So let's just close in a word of prayer this time. Our Father, we just thank you for this time that we had through to to read through Ecclesiastes, Lord. I just pray that we would uh, examine these words and take them to heart, starting with myself, Lord, that there is a time and there is a season for all these things that happen in our lives. And we, a lot of times we don't like them, Lord, but we understand that you are making everything beautiful in its time and that you are far committed to our Christian life. Those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, you are far committed to our Christian life than we are, Lord, and that you're going to complete that which you started in us, that good work. And, Lord, I just also pray for those who are here who do not know you. No doubt there is some who have not come to, uh, come to you by faith and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray that they do that today, that they would not meet the Lord Jesus Christ as their judge, but they would meet him as their Savior today. We just ask all these things and just pray that you bring us home in safety. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.